0: This is episode 40 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore Events Podcast. We're continuing with the 2008 Annual Enrichment Conference, Catalytic Leadership with Bill Thrall. This is session two, Tuesday morning. Um, what I would like to do this morning, you can turn in your little booklet to session two, but I want to start this morning and... Um, talk with you through some stories about an issue that we are discovering in our country and overseas as we minister with leaders, and I'll call it this, the incredible disconnect, the incredible disconnect in the lives of leaders between their theology and their reality. I'm going to give you some stories. Um, we were doing some mentoring intensives, actually right up in Vancouver, just a few miles from here. And uh, one of the leaders asked me to spend some time with him on one of the breaks, so we went for a walk. And as we were walking, uh, we paused along these rocks, and he asked to sit down, and he started to cry. And um, I asked him what was wrong, and he said... "Um, I think he said, I've been married 23 or 24 years, and he said, my wife doesn't like me very much. In fact, she doesn't like me at all. Now, you may say, well, gee, I'm sorry for that guy, but what's your point? Uh, Let me just tell you, he, he and his wife lead a marriage ministry. tell you another story. We were overseas uh, doing some training with a large mission and uh, after one of the sessions a young woman around about 30 years old was sobbing. She wasn't just weeping. She was sobbing. And she said I I just wish you would talk to my husband. She said he really needs to talk to you. And I said well why isn't he here? Because he doesn't want to talk to you. (laughs) Uh, and I said well why don't we see if we can find him and let's talk to him and she said well he's really embarrassed he doesn't want you to know what, what he needs to talk to you about and she blurted out she said I have repeatedly discovered on our computer that he has access to pornography and it's all homosexual pornography and uh, we met with him And I tell you that story because this young couple was the couple that was training all the new missionaries for service overseas. One more story. We were doing some leadership training at this large Christian organization and one of the leaders asked to meet with me and he He said to me, I'm um, working in our care ministry, um, helping our leaders uh, as they go through life issues. But he said, I I just had to tell somebody that uh, recently he said, I, I spent three weeks in a rehab center because I struggle a lot with depression. But I told the leaders of our organization that I was actually on vacation because I didn't know how to tell them that I was struggling. Do you know, I could spend the next thirty minutes telling you stories about the disconnect between the theology and the reality of Christian leaders. Um, For now, 12 or 13 years, Dallas Seminary and Fuller Seminary have been dealing with the issue of failing, of why leaders fail. And this is really daunting. They're discovering that 50 to 64% of all Christian leaders do not finish well. That's pretty daunting to me. And they're discovering that the number one cause of leadership failure in Christians is isolation. Isolation. When I have an opportunity, as I do this time, to share with you about God's grace, I want to remind us that grace is always relational. It is always relational. Grace is not a theological truism. It is a relational reality. And if we don't know how to teach God's grace, we will never experience in relationship God's love. The great disconnect... In leaders, and the reality of their lives is that no one is allowed into who they are. I'm encouraged as you are when I see your young leaders up here. I'm encouraged as you are. And I would say to you, uh, figure out something, one of the greatest gifts you can give to these young leaders is to teach them to hide nothing. One of the greatest gifts you can give to a developing leader is to teach them to hide nothing. Because in isolation, whatever I am hiding, will eventually define me. That's daunting to know that. So as we look at this little outline and the time we have for it this morning, I want to talk with us this morning about this reality of our character and our capacity. I'm going to quickly go through the outline and pause at areas that I'd like to emphasize in the time we have. So the first question is this. Are you the kind of person who others want to follow or have to follow. Are you the kind of person that others want to follow or have to follow? Your role is essential as part of the organization. But the ultimate influence of your life will come more from who you are than even what you do. The greatest influence of your life will come out of who you are. I appreciate your camp ministry. Um, part of our ministry life, for Grace and me, is we ran a Bible camp, and when we were part of Open Door Fellowship, and it was called Arizona Bible Camp, and, and in those days I was the everything. I the speaker and the director, and I kind of did those kind of things. And, and I was also the watch guard, and I had this unique rock that I sat up, up at camp where I could see the boys, girls, and the do- girls' dorms from the same position. And so I would sit there after the evening service till about midnight, and then uh, usually that was late enough. But one night I was sitting there, it was Thursday night, I remember it, at the end, toward the end of a busy weekend, just a little before 12 o'clock, sure enough, two guys are coming out of the girls' cabin, I'm out of the guys' cabin, excuse me. And I thought they were moving down toward the girls' cabins, and so I went, oh, gosh, Guys, not tonight. I'm dead tired. But they didn't move toward, they started to come toward me. They knew where I was. And I looked, it was two of my teenage leaders. And I went, oh, man, not Al and Tim. What are you guys wanting? So they come down and they said, Bill, we just got to talk to you. And uh, they asked me something. This is what they said to me. Bill, are you right? What do you mean, am I right? Well, tonight when you spoke, you said some things that we're deciding that we're going, to, uh, we're going to do. But if we do them, they'll change our lives. We just have to know, are you right? And uh, I'm sure I gave them some brilliant answer, uh, which I can't remember right now. But I'll tell you what happened to me. I went back up on that rock till four o'clock in the morning. And that was the experience that began for me a sense of the awesome responsibility that we have as Christian leaders to own our influence, to own our influence. Here's the point I want to make on this. Make sure your life story matches your life message. because the influence of your life will come out of your story, not your message. I was asked to sit on a committee in Denver, and our audience were Christian educators from colleges and universities, a couple of seminaries. And we had a panel, and most of the audience were gray-haired people, and um, one of them asked a question It was directed at me, and his question was this, Bill, um, why do you think there is such a disconnect between our generation and the up-and-coming generation? Why is there such a disconnect? I don't know that I gave him the right right answer, but I'll tell you the answer I gave him. This is the answer I gave him. Our generation, those of us with gray hair and older, we were taught to know something so we could tell something. This generation wants to receive something so it can become something. What we have to ask is, what do we have to give them? Because this is their accusation of us. Your lives do not match your message. Your lives do not match your message. And they challenge us as lacking authenticity. They want to know our stories. Follow me with the outline here a minute. Leading from this influence requires a special quality that leading from position or power does not, and that's called trust. Influence is based on trust, and this trust is anchored in two components, our character and our capacity. This little triangle, we've, we've said this, that our character and capacity are the roots to our earning trust. And when we are in trust, it is the basis for our influence. It is the basis for our influence. Look at the next page. Surveys from business, education, government, and military indicate that the quality with the greatest gap between what followers most want in their leaders and what they actually receive is trust. We call this the trust gap. What followers want in their leaders and what they discover in their leaders, that gap is the trust gap. Before we finish our times together, I will be talking with you more about this phenomenon that we call sin management. Remember yesterday, last night, I shared with you that the greatest evidence of our righteousness is our love, not how little we sin. But when our theology makes how little we sin the measure of our godliness, we will hide from each other our reality. And that makes us (coughs) inauthentic. And boy, do we have to work on this. Most people discover their lives are like the capacity ladder. That's that little ladder here with four rungs. You see it on the side here. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I'll just go through it very quickly because it's on your paper. The capacity ladder is where I discover what I can do. As a leader, I discover that I'm young, that I have some natural leadership, Maybe I have a winsome personality or I have an ability to persuade. I would circle that one for me as a boy. I had the ability to persuade my friends to do things I wanted to do. I wouldn't have known it then. It was just the way I did things. I'm embarrassed to tell you the story I'm going to tell you. I was, I guess, an entrepreneur at 12. I had a paper route and I persuaded the two boys who have paper routes next to me to sell me their paper routes. And then I persuaded them to work for me. (laughs) And I persuaded them (laughs) to work for me delivering the papers that they used to deliver on their own route. And I paid them five dollars a week, but when they owned the, earned the route, they earned ten dollars a week. <laughs> I guess I had some ability to persuade. <laughs> and what happens in our capacity ladder is we have this discover we can do, and then and then we develop our capacities, and usually that's with um, education and promotions, and then we acquire title or position. And then something happens. We, we we hit or attain our potential, and that and that character. Excuse me. That capacity ladder, unfortunately, is the ladder that many 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 leaders, including, including Christian leaders, spend most of their time on. Now, we are not as a ministry, and I am not as a person against our capacity. God uses our capacity. But when we as leaders hone our capacity and assume our character we will fail those who trust us. So look at this. It says that the top of the capacity ladder are stressors and strains one never experiences at the bottom. For instance, we have the pressure of success. We have pressure of success. We have the temptation of privilege. We have the demands of followers. And you know, without a healthy character, your capacity will not be able to endure the demand. we have the drain of critics. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that leadership in Christian circles, um, it's just like a magnet to critics. But something that helps me is to understand criticism a bit. So let me just give this to you. Criticism is always a greater commentary of the critic than it is the one being criticized. Criticism is always a greater commentary of the critic than of the one being criticized. And then the last one here says we have the isolation of leadership. As you'll hear me talk these couple of days. I'll be spending a lot of our time talking about this programmed isolation of leadership. I know we don't mean it, but they're just my words. If you as a leader are living without anyone speaking into you and your life issues, I believe it's because you do not understand God's grace. God has intentionally given us to each other. He intentionally wants our love to be the evidence of his grace that is in us. It says these capacity rungs are important to personal development, but when characters assume it leads to disintegration, disintegration of the ladders of life. Nothing hides disintegration like success for a season. What does disintegration mean? That means that my character and capacity are not balanced. My character is assumed. And I function mostly out of my skill set because I myself as a leader actually fear my own person. But well, those are some unhealthy words. And So let me just give you these things. A disintegrated life results in relational struggles. A disintegrated life results in relationship, relational struggles. We have to live, I think, with a different mindset, a different heart set. We as leaders have got to learn these words, I need you, I need you. If my mind said this, but I'm the pastor, I'm the leader, you know we're really not fooling anyone. Do we actually know that? People actually know that we're hurting. They really do want to have access to us. Look at the next line. We have, we experience emotional immaturity. Emotional immaturity is a phenomenon that takes place when unresolved wounding is still a part of who I am. Do you know that you will actually stop maturing at the point of unresolved wounding? You'll just get older, but you won't continue to mature. Let me give you a couple of insights that help me, and maybe some others, deal with this phenomenon. You can tell a leader is emotionally immature because in a crisis they will lose their objectivity and become the issue. You can tell when a leader is emotionally immature because in a crisis they will lose their objectivity and become the issue. We're aware of a church right now that is a very large church and the leader has recently made the declaration to his elders that because they are not any longer supporting him the way he thinks they should He's asked him to resign so he can appoint some new elders. See, that's an act of emotional maturity. Because one of the demands of emotional maturity in a leader is loyalty. Look at the next line. Lost opportunities, the last line, failure and falling. As I mentioned last night, I I tend to think in terms of one-liners. I don't know why that's true, just the way I think. And, And I'll say this to you. We need to create, and our next talk will be about environments of grace, we need to create safe places where what is true about us as leaders can be known. We need to create a safe place where what is true about us as leaders can be known because of this phenomenon. If the penalty for disclosing is the same as the penalty for getting caught, I will hide from you until you catch me. If the penalty for disclosure is the same as the penalty for getting caught, I will hide from you until you catch me." I was asked to do some introductory training for a very large organization, and the um, gentleman in that organization who asked me to come and make the presentations just before lunch said to me, "Bill." could you meet with me this afternoon? And he, let's say he said two o'clock. And um, my ego is big enough for me to have assumed that the reason he wanted to meet with me is because I'd done well in the morning and they were going to ask me to come back. Sorry, but that's my ego. And, um, but that isn't what happened. We met at, say, two o'clock, and unfortunately he met in a public place, an ice cream place. And um, he's a big man, and he sits across the table from me. And he grabs the edge of the table like this with his knuckles like that. And he starts to shake. And I went, oh my gosh, what's happening here? And he said, "Um, I heard what you said this morning. And I wanted to meet with you now because I had to go home and tell my wife first. But I need to tell you something that's true about me. He said, i never told anybody this. He said, I'm 55 years old. And since I was 15, I've dealt with this particular problem. And I didn't, I've not known how to deal with it, but I know that I can no longer hide it. And so I said to him, well, thank you for telling me that. Thank you for trusting me. I I said, we need to talk to your wife, right? uh, She's waiting for a phone call. So we went and talked to his wife. I, I I was able to get him some help in his community, which was very, very important to him. And two years after that, I got a, an email from him, one of my favorite all-time emails, and it was uh, a couple paragraphs of appreciation and then he had a little bitty paragraph about that big indented toward the end of the letter, and it said on October 25th, 2004, at the age of 55 I decided to grow up because I decided to trust somebody with me. Ah. Ah. As you look at this last little statement here, the critical question for any person is how do I integrate my life? How do I put these two ladders together? And, and let me say to you as you listen, as I have this time with you, let me say to you the way we do this is never alone. You cannot integrate these letters by yourself, because your view of you is always distorted. You actually need others to help you discover who you really are. Okay, we're going to do a little exercise, so I wonder if we could uh, get those handed out right now. and. Maybe we could turn these lights down. Thank you. As I give you this exercise, what I'm going to ask you to do is uh, take it and uh, just take a few minutes and answer the three sections. This is a personal exercise. And as you answer these three sections, then I'll tell you how to share it with somebody in a small group like we did last night. There are just three areas. and all you need to do is just read them and fill in the circle one of the answers okay there's seven you can get somewhere between a five and a one and then you just put your total score in the little box okay everybody just kinda sit where you are and and just take a couple of minutes and fill this out as i said to you last night we want to encourage you if you find these tools useful to use them take them home and Give others a chance to participate with you in them. You don't need to answer the questions yet, just want to fill out the little charts, okay? Everybody finished? Okay, thanks. Let's do this. Let's just turn the page and look and see how we did. Okay, Just kind of look and see how we did. Let's just do this kind of quickly. If in any of those areas you score 29 to 35, you feel very accepted in this relationship. Don't be embarrassed. If you didn't, it's just a little sheet. 22 to 28, you feel accepted in this relationship, but sometimes you waffle. You have more good days than bad days. Most of the time, you have enough confidence to overcome your occasional doubts about yourself. If you scored 14 to 21, you feel unaccepted in this relationship. You have more bad days than good ones. When faced with doubts about yourself, you tend to believe unconsciously or consciously that you don't deserve acceptance or don't need it. You are in danger because your lack of fulfillment in this area could lead you to unhealthy choices. If you scored less than 14, you are feeling a strong lack of acceptance in this relationship. This may be due to an actual perceived mistreatment or even abuse. Now, let me, uh, before we go to the questions, which I'm going to ask you to do in your group, uh, I'd like you to just think about this acceptance reality. We use this tool, we modify it for marriage seminars that we do. And it's not unusual for us to discover that in many Christian leaders, one or more of these areas, often in marriage, creates a lack of acceptance. That lack of acceptance can be unbelievably difficult to overcome in terms of our gaining a confidence that we are really about what God wants us to do. Now, I don't know how you scored, and that's your business. This is your your deal. What I do want you to do, though, if you scored low in any of those areas, talk with somebody about it. Don't let the pain of not being accepted define you. Please don't do that. Now, in a few minutes we have before we go to lunch, what I'd like you to do is in your small groups, again, just group up with three or four people, and I'd like you to answer questions two and three in that group. Okay? First one's personal, so the other two you can share. So just group, group up with two or three other people and maybe have groups of three or four and share a little bit about these last two statements. Okay? Go ahead, start talking. In the next couple of minutes try to, cr- try to concentrate on processing question number three on page 31. We only have a couple minutes. In the next couple of minutes, try to concentrate on question three on page 31, okay? Okay, um, let me interrupt interrupt what you're uh, talking about. Hope you can come back to it later. But what I'd like to do right now is I need several of you to tell us what you've just been listening to. What have you just heard from other people? What have you just heard from other people? Growing up affects your ministry now. Excuse me? Growing up, what is it affecting your life now? Yeah, how the things growing up are affecting you today in your ministry. Good. Somebody else. What, do you, what were you just talking about? Mostly the negative things growing up, not the positive. The positive are good foundations. The negatives are the things you start carrying with you. is that interesting? Repeat it. Repeat, repeat what you said. No. Uh, <laughs> what she said was, it's amazing how the negative things in growing up are the things we still work through. And the good things, even though they're in our foundation, they don't seem to be those things that we give priority to. Somebody else, what, what were you just talking about? Somebody over here, what were you just talking about? Yes. Well, when I my struggle growing up I was trying to make my dad proud, but he never could do it because he's never good enough. Yeah. So I find that now, and uh, I was telling my congregation this week, it's easier for me to gear my life. It's easier to be successful at doing things and projects rather than people. So I'm trying to I'll make an adjustment that when I get up in the morning, I think in terms of people I have to connect to rather than projects I have to get out of the way. Thank you. So it's kind of really- wow, thank you for that. that. That's huge insight. You hear what he just said? Huge insight. Somebody else, what were you just talking about? Bill? Yes, please. about talking about stuff like this what do you think the good thing bad thing wish we never did it what do you think difficult, difficult. difficult. it makes us vulnerable yeah you want to zip over the hard stuff let, let me let me just tell you what we're doing we are experiencing each other's story We need to do this a lot. In one of our training, a woman near the front sitting where this lady is, she started to weep as she raised her hand. And I said to her, why why are you weeping? She said, you cannot believe how important this is to me because no one ever listens to me. I never have anyone to talk to. We're all so busy that no one ever cares about my story. This is such an important process. What we're trying to do is model what we're teaching. That's why every time we do training, we will in fact create as many tools as we can to engage our audience in the process. Because grace is not something you learn up here. Grace is something you experience here. Grace is a principle of the heart intended of God to be lived out in relationship. That's why we do this. Let me pray with you this morning. Father, thank you for um, just our being able to do this some said it was hard and some said we like to kind of quickly go over some of the hard spots but most of us said this was good Father would you remind us how important it is for us to sit and share with others who we really are would you convince us Father how critical it is to our own well being that we are known We commit our time to you in Jesus' name, amen.